Well, good morning, everybody, once again. There is power in a vision, isn't there? Steve Jobs, played there by uh, Iowa homegrown actor Ashton Kutcher, doing his best job to uh, impersonate Steve Jobs, the CEO and founder of Apple that all of us in some way, shape, or form have been impacted by. Do you remember when the uh, iPod first came out? Does anybody remember that back in 01, right? Now, I'm not going to have you raise your hands on this one because this would date a lot of us. Did you ever bring home an Apple II, like one of the original, one of the original ones? Some of you may be nodding your heads uh, with that. This was revolutionary at the time. Nobody, nobody do this. It was, it was a, you'd had a, a, a Discman or a Walkman. Anybody have a Walkman that they use? So, yeah. Remember mowing lawn, mowing lawns in junior high with that. Just strapped up there, loaded up on my belt, you know, and all of that. To have a thousand songs in your pocket was revolutionary at the time. We don't think about it, but anything that really has changed the world seemed crazy at the time. Didn't seem like it could be done. And he's, it, it's, it's, a, it's a tool for the heart. Did you notice how he explained that? He, oh, this is a music player. No, he said it's a tool for the heart. And did you catch that line that he said that what it represents is almost more important than what it is? It's a tool for the heart because when you touch somebody's heart, when you engage somebody's heart, nothing is off limits. It's the power of a vision. We're not just telling people the what, but the why. And Jobs was a master at that. Not just the what do I want you to do or I need from you, but the why behind it. In fact, there's a story that goes of Jobs. If you go to the next slide, there's a story between Jobs and a man named John Scully, who at the time was a a vice president of marketing, marketing one of the higher-ups at uh, Pepsi-Cola, which is a well-established, multi-billion-dollar company at the time. And when Apple was first taking off, it was just four years from being started in Steve Jobs' garage, just kind of this upstart company called Apple. Steve Jobs needed a, an executive, a CEO, to run the company so he could focus on the creative ideas. And there was this, this time, uh, the story goes, that they were going back and forth, and Jobs was trying to convince Scully to come on board and be the CEO. And Scully had excuse after excuse after excuse, and finally Steve Jobs just looked at him and said, John, do you want to sell sugar water for the rest of your life, or do you want to join us and help change the world? How do you say no to that? How do you say no to that? Notice Jobs didn't say, hey, John, you want to come on board and do paperwork all day as an executive at Apple? Boring, right? He told him the why behind the what. He pointed him to a vision of the future that was impossible to resist. Jobs always had a vision to chase and a picture of the future. And I wonder this morning, do you? This is not a 30-minute commercial for Apple this morning, pointing you to something bigger. Do you have a vision for your life? Better yet, do you know what God's vision for your life is? It's one thing to create gadgets and technology and change the world that way, and that's great. Can't rescue people. Can't save people. It can't transform people's lives literally from the inside out. So what is your vision? Do you have a picture of what you want your life to look like in 5, 10, 15, 25, 30 years? The interesting thing is that this comes so naturally to us as kids. Nobody, nobody teaches children to dream. They just do it, don't they? It's innate in us. We're born with it, and somewhere along the line, we lose that. What's one of the most common questions that we ask kids as we're growing up? What do you want to be when you grow up, right? 
we're assuming that they've already been thinking about that. Our kids are four and six, and we don't have to like tell them to dream. They just do it. And so on a regular basis, just to kind of get inside their heads, we're asking them, you know, what, what is it that you want to be when you grow up? They already have this picture, we're assuming, in their heads of that. And so I ask our four-year-old, uh, Evie, what she wants to be. And normally it's a, a ballerina or uh, a princess or something, Elsa, you know, most weeks or something like that. But I asked her last week, and this one kind of caught me off guard, assume that, assuming that kids are watching everything that we're doing. I said, Evie, what do you want to be when you grow up? And she goes, in her four-year-old sass, a pastor. A pastor said, oh, wow. Okay, so I just kind of wanted to tease this out a little bit to see what her perception of that is. And, you know, what, Evie, what do, uh, what do pastors do, I wonder? And she thought about it for a second, and she goes, they have coffee every morning, and then they just talk all day long. That's what she said. <laughs> She's not that far off, believe it or not. For me, it's Jesus and coffee in the morning in that order, and that, that's, that's essential. But here's the thing. Somewhere along the line, we stop dreaming, don't we? Somewhere along the line, that childlike faith in us gets kind of eroded in this sea of productivity and serious business and the serious business of being an adult, and we stop having a vision for our lives. Every single one of us has a here. You have the current circumstances that you're in, relationally, uh, housing-wise, financially, your values, your priorities, your relationships, your marriage, your friendships. You have a here. My question for you this morning is, do you have a there? You have a here. Do you have a there? Do you have a vision for what your schedule, what your priorities, what your values, what your relationships look like 5, 10, 15, 25 years down the road? Parents, do you have a vision for your kids? And are you helping them move in that direction? Life happens in a powerful way when we have a vision, preferably God's vision for your future, that you've asked him, and then we live life backwards. We don't survive each day and go through the motions. We have a vision for where God wants to take us. Do you have that vision? If not, I want to challenge you, and I want to ask you this morning, where's all of it headed? Where's everything headed? Are you just kind of going through the motions? The reason that having a vision is powerful is because it it gives us purpose. It gives us a reason to get up in the morning. However, some of you, maybe you do have a vision for your life. You have a really clear picture of what you want your life and your family's life and your kid's life to look like down the road. Your there is very clear, but my challenge to you this morning is, is it worth it? Consider that you stay on the current trajectory that you're on in your life. The way that you spend your time, the way that you approach your relationships with the people around you, the way that you approach your relationship with God, what your priorities are, what you're spending your time on. When you get to your there, whether that's five years from now or at the end of your life, is it going to satisfy you? Are the current things that you're living for right now, if you get everything you want, Your picture, your ideal picture of everything you've ever wanted in life, is it going to satisfy you? Is it going to fill you up? Or do you need a vision that's bigger than you? Consider those questions. What type of an impact am I leaving? Is it ultimately going to fill me up? And what I mean by that is, (laughs) you see, as much as Steve Jobs had a vision for the future Self-admittedly, he said it was a vision, even for technology, that couldn't satisfy his soul. Several years ago, Steve Jobs died, a very, very young man, in his 60s, I believe. 
And on his deathbed, with about a week left to live, the man who had everything said this, I reached the pinnacle of success in the business world. In others' eyes, my life is the epitome of success. However, aside from work, I have little joy. In the end, wealth is only a fact of life that I'm accustomed to. And he continues on. Go ahead and go to the next slide. At this moment, lying on the sickbed and recalling my whole life, I realized that all the recognition and wealth that I took so much pride in, having paled and become meaningless in the face of impending death. Material things lost can be found, but there is one thing that can never be found when it is lost, and that is life. If Steve Jobs was empty at the end of his life, why are we chasing so many He's pleading with you. Take a different trajectory. It doesn't mean that we don't strive for excellence and work hard on this earth. But if that's your treasure, is it going to satisfy you? He got to the top and it wasn't enough. Are you missing what's most important? Have you found a vision that's worth living for? Scripture actually has a lot to say about vision. In Proverbs chapter 29 Verse 18, it says this. Let's read it together down here in the corner. Where there is no vision, the people are unrestrained. It's kind of hard to understand there a little bit, but the Hebrew root there for under, uh, unrestrained in the Old Testament is para. Everybody say para. Para. Para was the word that was used a lot of times when women in those days, just out of a sign of respect in the culture that they lived in, had to put their hair up in, in wraps or in bonnets or things like that. If a woman took that off, and if she had long hair, ladies, you know what it's like when you just let it down and just kind of flies all over and say it's a really windy day? Para is the word that they would use for how unrestrained a woman's long hair would be. This has nothing to do with women or hairstyles or anything. That's just what they use to describe that. And so the word para was used, so what the, in, in the wind, the hair is, it was directionless, and blown in all directions. Without a vision for your life, humans can be directionless and blown in all directions. What does that mean? It means that I'm going to run over here and look for a little bit of pleasure. I'm going to, I'm going to be tossed by the wind and go over here and look for a little bit of joy or a little bit of happiness or I'll just live for the weekend and I'll go out and have a few drinks and do whatever I need to do and I'll try to get a little bit of sexual pleasure over here and try to go date somebody over here and I'm not getting what I want to get out of my marriage so I'm going to run over and have a new marriage and I'm going to run over here and try to get a little bit of pleasure, a little bit of joy, a little bit of happiness, a little bit of satisfaction and I just run all over. Para, 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 para. Directionless, blown in the wind. Without a clear direction and vision for your life, that's how a lot of us live. We need a vision that's bigger than us, or it'll never satisfy. If your vision is all about you, you need a new vision. Take it from Steve Jobs. <laughs> it's never going to fill you up. And so last weekend, we had our 25th anniversary as a church, and we had a party. It was so much fun. We're a young adult now, 25 years old as a church. And as a part of that, we unleashed this brand new vision that God has laid on the heart of the leadership of the church and a bunch of volunteers that came together and crafted this vision that we believe that God has given us. 
this vision so that we're not para, para, para as a church, but we have a crystal clear picture of where God is calling us over the next 10 years. So let's read it nice and loud together. Powered by the Spirit to bring Christ to all cultures, revive the world with God's love, and make heaven more crowded. If you want to read more about that, there's, uh, there's pamphlets available at all the welcome centers around the church as well. There is no directionless vision there. Think about it. Bringing Christ to all cultures, reviving the world, and making heaven crowded. With all due respect to Steve Jobs and Apple, that is a vision that could actually change the world. Amen? I love technology. I use a lot of Apple products. They're great. I'm not living for them. They're not my treasure. They're tools. But I don't live for the gifts. I live for the giver. And so as a part of this vision, as you see on the wall over here and listed in that booklet, we have this vision that underneath that vision, there's 10 for 10, 10 big audacious goals for the next 10 years. And you can read all about it. But when you think about evangelists, bringing the gospel to 10 million people in the next 10 years, planting 10 more campuses or local sites, being world changers, new buildings, clean water to end malaria in developing countries, faith building, kingdom expanders, legacy makers, care providers, any one of those would be worth giving the rest of your life to. And I don't say that flippantly. I believe that. I would be willing to give the rest of my life for any one of those 10, and there's 10 of them, and there's a lot of us, and so that's good. So we need your help. That's why we have the body of Christ to all do this together. If there's anything that we hope that you hear loud and clear in this brand new vision, we're not playing church, okay? To be a member of hope and a follower of Jesus, for that matter, is that we are not playing church. We're not consuming religion. God has given us a life or death mission. Why? Because eternity is at stake. We're not coming and singing some songs and praying some prayers and having a baptism and going through the motions. Eternity is at stake. God has given us this incredible vision, and in so many ways, I want to encourage you this morning, it's coming to life. These aren't just banners on a wall or a PowerPoint slide on a screen. You're living it. It's happening. Last weekend, as I was standing in the back, as many of you are sitting back there today, behind the last row in the lobby, as it was just overflow last week as well, I was just looking around, not at a sea of people, but at, at individuals. Yes, I stalk you. I watch you. Because I'm praying for you. And I was looking around, and I was saying, wow, God has changed their life, and their life, and their life, and their... It just kept going on, and just all of these memories come flooding back. God has done more than we could ever ask or imagine. Things beyond that. Marriages have been restored. Sicknesses, there have been people that have had hands laid on them and prayed for at the end of the services up here. Sickness and diseases have been healed. The chains of addiction have been broken. We estimate over the last 11 years, a rough estimate, over 600 people have been baptized into new life in Jesus Christ over the last decade. Praise God for that. You may not know this, but close to a dozen full-time missionaries have come through this church just in 11 years that are serving all over the world Today, lives have been transformed way more than we could ask or imagine. 
And so, very appropriately, last fall, we launched a giving campaign, a capital campaign, and we named it, because of that, Building to a Hope Beyond, because we have a God who is able to do far more beyond what we can dream. And so this is a three-year campaign. We started it in 2019. We just finished year one. And so this whole uh, campaign is based on this passage from Ephesians 3 that Paul writes. It's kind of the, the, the foundation of what we're doing in this campaign. Let's read it together nice and loud. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus, to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Everybody say amen. 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 Paul's writing that as a benediction. And here's the truth. There's always more with God. Amen. amen. There's always more with God. If you, if you are looking at your current experience of church or religion, your current relationship with God, and you've kind of settled into the fact, well, this is how it is. I'm going to pop in and pop out once in a while. I'll read my Bible when I'll get to it. I'll pray once in a while when it's convenient. I'll put God over here on the shelf and I'll pull him out when we need it. That's my current experience with God. It's one of many priorities in my life. God says, you haven't seen anything yet. There's more. You just haven't experienced it yet. There's always more with God. Have, have you asked him? <laughs> Honestly, there's some of you that are here today that think your best days are behind you. Oh, I used to go to this church and I went on a mission trip or I, I went and did this and I used to be with this group of people and my faith was on fire and I did all these great things for God, but then I made some mistakes and I drifted away from the church or I kind of lost my faith and I, I, I made some mistakes and I have some failures in my life and so God's over there and I'm over here. I'm pretty sure my best days are behind me. God says, oh, just wait. You haven't seen anything yet. What if your next 10 years could be your most effective 10 years for the kingdom of God. God says, you haven't seen anything yet. What if your next 10 years were your best 10 years? I don't want you to miss it. And so I believe as a church, as I look at our 10 for 10, as I look at this vision that God's given us as a church, I don't know how you can't get excited about that. I just don't know. I think our best years are ahead of us as a church. I think we're just getting started. Turn to your neighbor right now with much gusto and tell them we're just getting started. Tell them that right now. We're just getting started. We're just getting started. We're just getting started. Turn to your other neighbor on the other side of you and say, hey, loosen up a little bit. Tell them that right now. Just loosen up a little bit. Okay. Sometimes we get a little serious here on Sunday morning. Just loosen up a little bit. So we talk, start talking about capital campaigns and giving and money. You got to loosen up a little bit, okay? So why are we revisiting this campaign? Why are we doing that? Well, there's a couple reasons uh, that I want to out, outline for you. It might be helpful of why we're revisiting this campaign to say why we're not revisiting this campaign. Number one, some of you might think, oh, John, is the church in financial trouble? Absolutely not. We're not doing this campaign because we're, they have all these games and gimmicks to try to get you more money, both in our general fund and for the giving campaign. We're in really good shape, and you're a very faithful congregation. Do we want you to continue to give? Absolutely. So it's not that we're in financial trouble. Some, some of you are like, John, oh, we're doing this campaign because like, it's kind of slow and it's not what you thought it would be? Absolutely not. Way beyond, way beyond what we ever imagined. If you go to the next slide, you'll see kind of where we're at from a campaign standpoint. Last fall, you pledged or gave over $1.15 million. Praise God for that. Let's give God praise for that. Absolutely. 
Now with that, gifts given to date, about 476, and you see what the remaining balance is up there. So the reason we're re revisiting this campaign is number one, so that you would, those of you that have given would fulfill those pledges over the next two years and continue to give faithfully. A lot of you weren't here last year. There's about 100 people a weekend that worship with us that weren't here even last fall. And so if you're new, maybe you could start a new pledge and consider that uh, as well. And then for those of you that want to know, there's uh, a little bit of debt that we want to knock out as well. I think if you go to the next slide, that just kind of lists out those reasons as well. Praise God, about four years ago, that debt was over $2.5 And if you can look at it where it is now, praise God for your generosity. That's why we can do what we do, okay? That's why we're revisiting that. And when we knock down that debt and we take the money that you've given towards this campaign, which you voted in October, to shift to this new facility that we're going to be moving into this spring on University Avenue over in the Drake area, there's some much-needed renovations that need to get done over there. And so that's where those funds are going, as well as to knock down the debt. And when we do that, we're going to free up tens of thousands of dollars in interest that I would much rather give towards mission than a bank. I love banks, but I'd rather have it go out of this building uh, towards God's ministry and his mission as well. And you have no idea how much money we're going to save when we're not paying a huge interest sum out of our general fund every single month to free that up for mission as well. If you want to know all the details of that, again, we have these brand new campaign booklets that are in the back at the Welcome Center. Please stop by and grab one of those afterwards. Everything is in there that you need to know. But let's not get lost in the numbers and buildings and budgets. It's never been about that. They point us to our vision, which is our why behind everything we do. And that's honestly why we started with Steve Jobs today. One of the things that Jobs and a lot of other CEOs of growing companies are masters at is communicating the why. If you think about it, every business, every church, organ every organization, every church should, in one way, shape, or form, have a why behind their what. All of these groups certainly have a what, what they do. We sell insurance, we're doctors, we're lawyers, we're nurses, we're teachers, we're whatever we do. We all have a what, but inside of that, there's always a why. Everybody say why. why. And the why should always lead to the what. Organizations that kind of put the cart before the horse are the ones that focus so much on the what instead of the why. And this is what Jobs was a master at. I've created a tool that can touch the heart. Some of you are like, I don't care what it is, I want it right? Oh, it's an iPod. Oh, great, right? He was a master at communicating the why of his products before the what. We could learn something as a church because often in the church, what we do is we get lost and consumed in the what. I should probably go to church this week. I should probably read my Bible more. I should probably join a small group. I should probably serve. I should probably volunteer. I should probably pray more. All those things are good, but they're the what, and you forgot the why. We forgot the reason of why we do what we do and we lose our way. So what is the why? There are tens of thousands of people in the greater Des Moines metro area that don't know Jesus, that don't have a church home, that are lost, that are broken, that are hurting, that are addicted, that are isolated, that are living without hope. And until that's no longer the case, our work as a church is not done. Amen? Amen. That is the crystal clear why behind what we do. It's the why behind the what. It's not about giving campaigns. It's not about more money. It's not about bigger buildings. It's not even what building we're in. It's about, get this, fulfilling God's vision for your future and our future, not 
your vision. I think I've mentioned this before, but one of my college roommates had a sign. I'll never forget it on the back of our door. And it was just a white sheet of paper with a simple statement. It said this, pursue God's will, not your will with God's name on it. And I think some of us do that. God, here's, here's my here, and my there is over here, and this is what I want to do, and my priorities, and my vision for my life. Could you come and bless what I want to do, God? Have you stepped back and say, God, what do you want me to be? Who do you want me to be? What do you want me to be? And that's what we did as a church, is we clarified our why. To make heaven more crowded, to revive the world with God's love, to bring Christ to all cultures. When you focus on the why, you always grab the human heart. When you focus on the what, you miss it and it becomes legalistic. But when you focus on the why, you grab and you touch the human heart. And you engage that, which is that's what Jesus wanted anyway. In our relationship with him, Jesus was always about moving us from duty to delight. From duty to delight. Everybody say delight. delight. I delight in doing all these things for you, God. Sometimes it's hard to understand our relationship with God from a, a kind of a heavenly spiritual perspective, so we need to look at it more of in an earthly perspective. So uh, earlier this summer in August, my wife Tiffany and I celebrated 10 years, our 10-year anniversary. And if you're going to clap, clap for her, because she deserves it, okay? So, which is really strange, because I just turned 22, but I don't, anyway. Um, now imagine, for our 10th anniversary, that I came home on our anniversary with a giant, like, six dozen rose bouquet behind my back, and I'm just going to shock her, and I'm going to surprise her, which I would not do because uh, different than other ladies, my wife is not like a flowers and chocolate kind of lady. She's like a Starbucks gift card and a wad of cash kind of lady. Um, <laughs> ladies, can I get an amen? Maybe some of you, okay? Not every woman is flowers and chocolates, and if you are, that's great. So we're going to run with that analogy, okay? Uh, or uh, leave the house and let me have a nap, kind of a lady, okay? So I have this big bouquet of flowers, let's say, behind my back, and I, I come in and I present it to her, and she, you know, as every time that I come home, oh, honey, I'm so glad that you're here. I've been waiting all day for you. And I come in, and I go, here you go, honey. Happy anniversary. Look at all these roses. And she says, oh, honey, why would you go to such great lengths to show your love for me? You shouldn't have. And imagine I responded, well, actually, I had to, because it's my duty. Actually, I read a book about it in How to Be a Decent Husband. It's actually, um, what I read is, at, it's, it's my duty. It's uh, checklist item uh, number 4.2, get wife flowers, smile, try to act romantic. <laughs> no, right? That's missing the whole point right? That's not, that's not the point. Relationships that are filled with duty are empty, and they're lifeless, okay? Rewind. Back through the door, okay? She's over there, 10th anniversary, big bouquet of roses behind my back. Knock, knock on the door. I don't know why I would knock on my own house. I don't know. But I come in, and I kind of sashay across the floor. And she's like, oh, she's just swept off her feet. And I come with the roses, and I say, honey, Happy anniversary, happy 10 years. And she says, oh, why did you go to such great extent to show your love for me? You shouldn't have. Now imagine instead I respond, well, actually, honey, I couldn't help myself. In fact, I've got a big plan for this evening and I want you to go put on something nice and we're going out because there's nothing that I would rather do 
than spend the evening with you. Thank you. <laughs> Husbands, that was free, by the way. You can take that. Okay? <laughs> I went to church and got advice. Oh my God. She wants me to love and serve her and give things to her and bless her because nothing delights me more. And what you delight in is your treasure. The same is true with God. And yet most of you, a lot of you, unfortunately, have lived a lot of your Christian lives in the what. You're bringing flowers to God, but your heart is empty. Your heart's not in it. God, I have perfect church attendance. I read my Bible and I pray and I volunteer and I serve all day, every day. And God says, I know, but I want you. I want your heart. Stop bringing me flowers. Stop making sacrifice. It's lifeless. It's joyless. But when your heart is captured, just like in marriage or any relationship or in parenting, you give and you serve way beyond, way beyond what the rule book says. Because you delight. And that's the heartbeat of the passage from our scripture that you heard read from Hebrews chapter 10 today. We pick it up in verse 16. This is an Old Testament prophecy from Jeremiah 31 that the writer of Hebrews is tapping into. So this is what God says as quoted in Hebrews 10. I'll move this for you. And let's read this nice and loud together. Verse 16. This is the covenant I will make with them. After that time, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. So the writer of Hebrews is quoting this prophecy, and he's saying that someday, which has already happened, there's going to be this spirit that comes and lives inside of you, and it's going to make you desire to be obedient to God. It's going to make you long to be in a relationship with God. You're not going to need a rule book to say how to be a good husband, how to be a good wife, how to be a good follower of Jesus. This Holy Spirit is going to come and live inside of you where there's nothing that would delight you more than to please your Father because you know that He is madly in love with you and you are in love with Him. And that's what makes relationships work. It's not give and take, it's give and give. That's what makes relationships work. Amen? In human relationships, in your relationship with God, He's given me everything. How can I not surrender everything and give it back to Him? So let's not talk about money and giving and tithing and all of that stuff unless we're talking about the why. Not just the what, but the why. And that's the heart of Hebrews 10. They, the, the problem that Jesus had with a lot of the Pharisees in the New Testament is they put the what in front of the why. They kept bringing flowers, but their hearts weren't in it. Instead, when the New Testament talks about giving or tithing, whether it's our time or our talents, or our treasure. It's about being free in Christ to not listen to some pastor tell you what to give, to not read some manual on this is the exact percentage that I'm supposed to give of my time or of my financial resources. It's about giving from the overflow of your heart out of delight rather than duty. Paul puts it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Let's read this together. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. 
Everything we do at Hope is a get to, not a got to. Everything we do is a get to, not a got to. And that includes your giving. You could give a ton of money. You could be involved in every ministry. You could be leading this and leading that and serving here and volunteering here and all of that. But if it's to put on a show, if it's to get credit in some way to have people see you, or if you are doing it under any sense of obligation, this morning God says, stop. I want you. I want your heart. And when I have your heart, I know that your money and your time and your talents will follow. If you are giving under any sense of guilt or pressure or volunteering under any sense of guilt or pressure, stop, slow down, and check your heart and ask God to move you from duty to delight. Instead, God is looking for hearts that are fully surrendered to him. Some of you are saying this, John, I don't have a vision. I don't know what God's vision is for my life. I can guarantee beyond a shadow of a doubt I know what a big part of it is. That whatever season of life you find yourself in, regardless of your circumstances, God's vision for your life from now until the day you die is that your heart would be fully surrendered to him. That's it. And you know why that's the starting point? When your heart is surrendered to him, everything that you are longing for is going to come out of a surrendered heart. Everything that you've ever wanted for love, everything you've ever wanted in your marriage, everything that you've ever wanted in friendship, everything you've ever wanted in community, everything you've ever wanted in a church, and your preferences and your ideas, everything you've ever wanted for joy and pleasure and satisfaction starts with a heart that says, God, I want what you want for my life. And whether I'm here or whether I'm there in the living out of the reality of that dream of my life, God, in this moment, in the not yet, my heart is yours. I'm going to bring you flowers whether I feel like it or not. Because I love you, God, because I delight in you. Nothing brings me more joy. So back to this campaign thing. (laughs) A lot of you, oh, John, so you're doing a fundraiser. (laughs) Absolutely not. And you know what the world would say about a campaign like this and, and tithing in general? Would say giving to the churches. Use all the games and gimmicks and tricks that you can. <laughs> Instead, you want to know what our big gimmick is? <laughs> what our motto is? Pray about it. Ask God, what do you want to do through me to help this church live out this God-sized vision that you've given us as a church? Listen and don't give any more, and don't give any less. Not what your neighbor's giving, not what you think you should give, not what you've given in the past, not what feels comfortable, but give generously and sacrificially based on what God tells you to do. God, what do you want to do through me? And that response could look a lot of different ways. That response could look a lot of different ways. For some of you, as you think about that, it's starting to tithe. It's starting to say, you know, I've heard about this tithing thing, and I'm focused on reading my Bible and coming to worship and praying, but did you know that your finances are a part of it? It's a spiritual discipline to tithe. We're going to dig into that more next week, but I just want to encourage you, for some of you, to start thinking about that. Maybe it's not that 10% model that we read about in the Bible, but it's 1% or 2%, things like that. Start tithing. And then for some of you, it's taking that next step to say, now that I've tithed and I'm doing that base, I'm going to give above and beyond, is what we're asking you to do, above and beyond your general tithe. 
to the giving campaign. And whether it's fulfilling that pledge and continuing to give on that pledge, starting a new pledge, or making a one-time gift. And yet there's some of you there, here today that are like, John, I can't give financially. We're in a really tight spot right now, and I'm having a hard time making ends meet. If you can't meet the needs of your family, do not give to the church. The church should be giving to you. And we do that in a variety of ways. You as a congregation, tithe. And this congregation gave close to $50,000 right out these doors to our mission partners and those in need last year. So we're modeling that as a church, and we ask that you would join us in that individually as well. But maybe it's your time and your talents. The great thing about a campaign and about uh, our church for the last 25 years is that every single one of us is in the game. Every single one of us has a role to play. Do you know that every single one of us has the same number of hours in the day? <laughs> but you all have different gifts and talents that God's given you, and there's going to be so many ways that you can give, and you do that in so many ways. You're such a generous church. And so we want you to pray about that, and so you'll see on your chairs today there's that card, and that's not to just shove it in your face. Some of you are like, wow, that's a little forward. You know, put the giving card right on the chair. Yeah, we know it's forward, and, and, and I have no problems with that because this vision is worth giving our lives to. I don't believe that there is any greater thing that you could give towards than changing people's lives for eternity. And that's why, that's why there, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. <laughs> we want to put that in front of you this morning. And so on November 23rd and 24th, that weekend before Thanksgiving, is going to be our recommitment Sunday. And every single person can bring one of those cards because you'll see on there it says, my time and my talent, of which every single one of you has. We want to encourage you to pray about that and bring that. You can give any time. Grab a folder in the back. Check it out online. There's a brand new Hope app that just launched last week as well. So go to the, your favorite app store and download the Hope app, and you can give that way as well. It would be so easy to get lost in the details, you know, the what and not the why. And I just wanted to close with a quick story. A couple weeks ago, I was up in my office up here with our six-year-old Caleb, and um, for a variety of reasons, we hadn't told our kids that we're moving churches. Um, our son Caleb was baptized at Hubble Elementary School, and now he has PE there, because that's a school. Our daughter Evie was baptized here four years ago. And so we are really kind of, I don't know, a little nervous, as maybe some of you are, about moving our church home. And so for a variety of reasons, we hadn't told our kids yet. And we were sitting up there, and, and uh, go ahead and go to the next slide. That picture... Uh, of our vision night uh, at 2500 University was up on my wall and uh, our son Caleb looked at it <laughs> and he said, um, wow, daddy, that's a big, big church. And I go, yeah, do you, do you think it'd be cool if someday that was our church? And then in all of his teenager, all of a sudden mentality, he goes, dad, I already know we're moving there. Oh, really, smarty pants? <laughs> Did you sit in on the campaign meetings with me or something? And I just wanted to tease it out. I said, okay, buddy. I know it's kind of hard because this is a really fun church, isn't it? Really fun church building. I said, why are we moving there? You know, I thought, oh, because it's cool or whatever in his six-year-old mind. You know what he said, unprompted, in his six-year-old vocabulary? <laughs> he said, well, I guess with, he's kind of looking at that picture. With all the big, with all the big more room, Dad, then a whole bunch of more people can come and hear about Jesus. And I was like, 
Yeah, that's it. That's exactly it. Our six-year-old just nailed the why. Not just for our giving campaign, but for why we do everything we do as a church. And if you need a reminder of why what you give and how you serve and how you volunteer and everything that you do for this church matters, when you give, you are supporting ministries like Power Life, like, like Lachlan, 11-year-old boy that I was able to baptize at, at his discretion. He asked his parents, Jesus is moving in my life and I want to get baptized. When you give, you're supporting ministries like Power Life that are encouraging and supporting our youth as they make these declarations of faith. When you give, you're supporting uh, ministries like our, our men's ministry. This past Thursday, a group of guys that gets together for Bible study, and there was a gentleman, I was told, that for the very first time put his faith and his trust and came into a life-saving relationship with Jesus Christ in a preschool classroom on the other side of that wall. Can you give God praise for that? How cool is that? When you give, you're supporting ministries like WizKids on Thursday nights where kids from war-torn countries and refugee families are coming over from families that have been torn apart and they are memorizing songs and they're writing their own songs to help memorize Bible verses and getting fed. When you give, you're giving towards a vision that is making an impact and is going to leave a legacy in people's lives for eternity. That's the why. And just like Caleb, sometimes kids have a way of reminding us what really matters. A couple weeks ago, I came across this short video, and of all things, it is a Norwegian commercial. I know. Sometimes kids need to remind us of what matters most. Take a look. I have no idea. Yeah. Um, I have no idea what that said at the end. But we don't need to, do we? The clip gets me for a couple reasons. Number one, because it reminds me of a lot of kids that we serve around here that might have empty school lunch boxes as well. Um, what you're doing as a church is meeting tangible needs every single day and pointing kids and students and adults to eternity, to the love of Jesus Christ. This isn't a fundraiser. It's not games and gimmicks. We're not playing church. <laughs> These are real kids. Here, every single Thursday. These, these are real students that are looking for direction. It's broken men and women just like you and me that are sitting around you today, that you're here and you have hope and purpose in your life because of one thing, not a worship service, not a program, not a church building. It's because of the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. It's this vision that God's given us. And I don't know if you saw the look, yes, in the little boy that received the lunch in his face, but the look in the faces of the boys and girls that gave sacrificially some of their lunch. Did you see the little smirk? the little joy that was on their face. It's the joy of giving. It's the joy of giving. And that is my deepest prayer for us as a church that during this campaign, during this month, that you would get a glimpse of the joy 
of giving, far beyond any guilt or pressure, the joy that comes with giving joyfully and sacrificially to the vision that God has given us, that's worth giving our lives to, our time, our talent, our treasure. One more time, let's read it together nice and loud. Powered by the Spirit to bring Christ to all cultures, revive the world with God's love, and make heaven more crowded. That's where we're going, and you are invited along for the ride. Amen? Wherever you are, let's stand as we prepare our hearts for communion.